0: I hope, that, uh, <clears throat> I hope that you know and appreciate that times like we just had in song, it, it's word-driven, not creativity-driven. I, I hope you know that that is what is driving worship times like that. It's sweet because it's true, not because it's creative. Um, it, it sounds good and it's creative, and that's icing on the cake. But that's true. That's why it's good. Man, I'm thankful for the leadership that we have in that area. Um, Thank you guys for your creativity and your talent, but thank you for leading us in truth. Uh, Turn to the book of James. We're going to be in James for the next three Sundays. We started there last week, and then we diverted to Elijah. But we're going back, and we're going to really be in James this morning. Before we go in to James here, I want uh, us to pray together. I want us to pray for Grace Community Church. Steve Lawson is their pastor, and uh, they're engaging the ministry of the gospel just right down the road from us. And uh, I want to pray that they would be gripped by the gospel, that their people would come together this morning just like we've gathered, and that they would be undistracted, and that they would engage the word together and be gripped by it and be changed by it. And so let's pray that for us, and let's pray that for them. Father, Um, We pray a special dependency uh, is is made evident and put on display in us that we're dependent upon you and your truth and your spirit and the cross of Christ. And uh, we pray that for Grace Community Church, that as they engage people and as they walk together, that they would be pretty astounded by the gospel daily. And that Steve would preach this morning with not only just passion or creativity, but that he would preach with truth preach the truth and be gripped by the truth and that your truth would change lives and your gospel would change people, save people, and build your kingdom because, um, because they are committed to and loyal to the gospel. And uh, we pray that for Crosspoint this morning, that we would be loyal to the truth and the word and that we'd be engaging and looking for what you say and what you mean this morning. And that's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, we learned a few things about James. We did some introduction, introductory stuff last week about James. This is not a real book. There is, there is the temptation and kind of a um, reputation that the book of James has is that it's a real book. It's what you have to do and keep doing in order to be saved and stay saved. And that's what we looked at last week. That's not it. There's also this impression that James doesn't have the gospel in view. Christ alone in view. He's not as blatant about Christ alone for salvation as Paul is. But they need each other. If we are his sheep, he is our shepherd. James is written to all of his sheep. Anywhere, any place, any time. That's who James is written to. This is not a book about how to be saved or stay saved. This is not a book that teaches us how to attain salvation, and it's not a book that teaches us how to retain salvation. The Gospels are clear. Paul is clear. The Old Testament is clear. God saves and God retains. This is a book about how the attained and retained look Do you see it? That's what we engage in James. His sheep have a look, have a texture, have a smell, and they have a movement. And James puts skin on it for us. So if we're sheep, and we're his sheep, our wool will look and smell and move, and we act a certain way. And that's what James helps us with. There's five assumptions that we looked at last week that we need to be reminded of. There's five assumptions about James that show us And teach us that this is not a rule book. That James has the cross in view, Christ in view, and he has a sovereign view of God in view. Number one, James sees the seed of the New Testament church. He sees the church as it gets going. A leader in the Jerusalem church. He's saved at the resurrection. And so he sees the church as it begins. Persecuted, trying to figure out how do we take this gospel, how do we take what we've seen and heard to the rest of the world? Who do we not take it to? Who do we take it to? A perplexed people clinging to God and His Spirit. That's who He's leading. How could He be focused on anything else except the cross, Christ alone, and God's Spirit? The second thing is James doesn't pull rank here. This is Jesus' brother. I believe most likely that this is. Uh, History points to the fact that um, it's pretty clear this is Jesus' brother, and we don't don't see him pull rank and mention that, that fact in James. And that's important because he could very easily say, now I'm preaching these things to you and I'm telling these things to you because I'm Jesus' brother. And he doesn't pull rank. There is a real safe assumption here that James preaches on the authority of Jesus is his Messiah God. Jesus is in view here for him. Jesus is his Savior. The third thing, there's this kind of impression in our culture that Paul... Verse James. Paul and James didn't get along. They said two totally different things. They, they they conflict. James is all about works. Paul's all about faith. And this is not a Paul versus James sermon series. This is not a Paul versus James book. In fact, James is in charge and leading and pastoring the church that sent Paul. There's a relationship, there's an influence that James has over Paul. Yes, they had their differences. But they need each other and they balance each other, balance each other so well. I told you last week, I love it, that in Galatians, Paul says, these people who are saying to you that you need circumcision, circumcision plus Jesus to be saved, I wish the knife would slip. Because all you need is Jesus. That's what Paul said. I love that about Paul. And James would say, yes. He would affirm that. But he would also say, what does your faith look like? How does that expression of faith, that profession of faith, of Christ alone, what does it look like? Where is your wool, sheep? They balance each other and they need each other. The fourth assumption is James 2.24, which says this. James says, you see that you are justified, saved, reconciled to God by works and not faith alone. James is not a book that says works saves you rightly interpreted James 2 24 is in keeping with Matthew 3 8 when John the Baptist looks at the Pharisees and Sadducees who are coming to the river to be baptized because they want to make sure that they're saved they want to do something else these Pharisees they want to do something else on top of what all they've already done in keeping the law just to make sure that they get to heaven make sure that they're square with God and so they're seeking a work a rite of passage well, we might want to go out and, and pay attention to John. He's baptizing people. I better do that. I've done everything else. I better do baptism too. And John stops them before they get there and says, you brood of vipers, turn around, bear fruit. How about that? That'd be a good idea. Not baptism. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what James 2.24 says. Works, not faith alone. You, people see that you are justified by your works. They see that you are justified by your wool. That's in keeping with. With what John tells the Pharisees. You don't come to Christ with works. You don't come to him with who you are. You don't come to him with what you've accomplished and acquired. You don't do it. It's Christ alone. That's what James says. But he says, your works are how people see it. Your wool is how people see it. The fifth assumption, James is written to converted people. We learn that in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, interpreted Um, If you interpret that from the original languages, James owned by God and the Messiah God. Owned by God and Jesus the Messiah God. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That's to God's people anywhere, any place, anytime. He's writing to converted people. So this is not a manual on how to get converted. Do you see it? This is not a manual on how to be saved. He's talking to saved people. He's talking to God's people. So this is not that manual on how to be saved, on how to attain and retain salvation. This is a manual that says this is what God's people look like. This is how they operate. This is how they treat each other. This is how they speak. This is how they treat the Bible. This is how they know they're saved. This is how they spend money. This is how they don't spend money. This is how they talk. This is how they don't talk. This is how they treat rich people and how they treat poor people. It's good stuff. And it's hard We learned from Elijah that God operates many times in the absurd. Remember that from last week? Um, He sends Elijah and says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. So how about this? Go out to where there's nothing. (laughs) Go, Go to the brook Cherith where there's rocks and some sand and a little bit of water. That's where I'll take care of you. That is absurd. It's very unlikely, but it seems to be God's way, and it seems to be The way of his sheep is that we operate in absurd because he gets the glory. He told Elijah, go out there, I'll take care of you. And I'll send ravens, scavenger birds. Birds that don't take care of anybody else but themselves. They don't even take care of their young. They bring him breakfast and they bring him dinner. It's not abundance but it's provision. It's absurd but it's provision. It's unlikely but God is faithful. Do you see it? And he uses the absurd and man, James starts off in, cha- in verse 2, of James chapter 1, with a really absurd statement. And that's where we're going to be today. Chapter, uh, verse 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at this absurd consideration that James puts before us. Verse 2, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. First of all, I want to I clarify two phrases before we move in to the, to the meat of this. First thing, count it all joy. That count it. I love what the New American Standard says, consider it. Okay, so if we're going to consider something, we're going to count something, we are also going to suppose it, think it, we're going to deem it, we're going to call it, we're going to say that it is. It may not feel like it, and it may not be fun, but we're going to think it, suppose it, know it to be, reckon it, deem it, count it. Joy. Now what are we doing? What are we counting joy? What are we deeming, supposing, thinking, knowing? Joy. Trouble. (laughs) How absurd is that? This is the most absurd statement that could be made. This is so unlike us. This is so unlike our world. For us to consider, deem, think, and suppose any trouble that we have to be great. And joy. Oh, joyous day. I'm in trouble. That doesn't make sense. It's absurd and it's unlikely, but it's what his sheep do. The uh, the second thing, trials of various kinds. That's what the ESV says. When you meet trials of various kinds, we need to know what James is talking about here. I I want to be very clear here. Persecution, yes. For the faith, yes. But the language that he uses here opens it wide. For God's people, what we're talking about here any kind of trouble not just specifically a persecution for your faith any trial temptation trouble difficulty hardship perplexity anything that we encounter that's tough hard and difficult consider it joy that opens it up for all of us and I think and I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that includes all of us if you're here and you've never had any kind of trouble, boy, I want to meet with you afterwards and go to lunch. We can. It's safe to say, man, trouble surrounds us, and it not only surrounds us, it engages us, and it's in our family, and troubles in our work, and trouble is all around us, and we need to know how, as God's sheep, we deal with that. Well, here's something absurd: we count it joy. It's very unlikely. This cuts against. Everything. This does not line up with what our flesh wants to hear. Do you see that? Counting trouble, job loss, money loss, losing anything, joy, is, that's not what our flesh wants to hear. So let's just be up front and recognize that James is talking about any kind of trouble, and he's talking about a considering it, thinking it, knowing it, believing it, joy. Okay. I've got, I got three ways that we consider it joy. How in the world do sheep do this? Do his sheep do this? How do we do that? I think James offers, and Paul, offer us the answer. Number one, how do you consider it joy? How do you consider trouble joy? We have a helper. We have a capital H, helper. Okay, we have a helper, capital H. James 1, 17. Look at 17 and 18. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, which whom there is no variation or shadow Due to change. He's true. He doesn't change. He doesn't falter. He doesn't pull the rug out from anybody. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is James owning the sovereignty of God. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. James and God's people get this. Sheep understand this right here. Trusting Christ and a dependency upon God and His Holy Spirit is never in question. Trusting God, a dependency upon His Spirit is not in question. James says right here of His own will He brought us forth. He saved us. We are dependent upon Him, not what we do to get us through trial, not what we can muster, not what we can manufacture. He is the Father of lights. All good things come from him. The Spirit comes from him. Joy comes from him. Do you see it? So if he says considerate joy, and he also says every good gift comes from God, where is James' dependency? God. We have a helper. Now, Paul really helps here. He really balances this out. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. Now, when, when you, We're switching gears to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, real quick, these folks are primarily Gentiles. They're, they're getting hammered by the Jews who are not believing in Christ. They're getting persecuted for their faith, probably losing business, probably being ostracized, maybe even having to move to a different part of town to stay away from the Jews. Paul comes, and they run him out of town early, and he, he doesn't want to leave. And the Thessalonians are like, Paul, you've got to get out of here. You started the church. Go. They're going to kill you. And so Paul goes on to the next town. And what do these Jews do in in Thessalonica? They chase Paul to the next town. Now, what does that mean for the people who are living with him? (laughs) Paul got to leave. But these people are living with these people who ran Paul out of town and then chased him. And then where do they come back? They come back to live with them. (laughs) And so they're living amongst persecution. So we're about to see a people who cling to to Christ and his spirit. We have a helper. There's a real absence in Paul's letters. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 1 if you haven't already. There's a real absence in Paul's letters. If you, if you read through any of them, there's a real absence of, um, of any of these churches or him bringing to light that any of these churches have mustered or created in themselves anything. There's a real absence of it. You don't see it. But what you do see is the Spirit. You had the Spirit. You endured in the Spirit. You had the hope of the Spirit. Your love endured because of God's help, because of His grace. That's what we see. We don't see Him highlighting how great they did on their own, how much faith they mustered on their own. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. And you... Paul talking to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. How? With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. James starts it, Paul completes it. How did the Thessalonians receive the gospel with joy in affliction? How are they in affliction and persecution and in trouble and have joy? By the Spirit. That's it, by the Spirit. God's people have the only real avenue on joy, His Spirit. We have the only real true avenue on joy. We're the only people should be on this planet who encounter trial and have a, we're the only people that have a real genuine, authentic joy about the trouble. Why? Because we have the Spirit. The world doesn't. He has given us the Spirit. The world doesn't have the Spirit. How do we know that? There is no joy in any circumstance except for trusting in Christ. God, the Father of lights, where we get all good gifts. Joy, with the help of the Spirit. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. You know, we had, we had mentioned that the writer of the book of James, that James, the brother of Jesus, was probably pretty skeptical of Jesus' ministry. Um, it appears that he was believing after the resurrection. Once Jesus was resurrected, he's believing. I'm wondering if he's watching this. In James chapter 14, I'm wondering if he's watching Philip and Thomas freak out because Jesus is leaving. Okay, Jesus is about, he's telling them, I'm, I'm going away, I've got to go to the cross, I'm leaving. And Philip and Thomas freak out a little bit. Philip says, show us God. Show us something. Do a magic trick. Give us some encouragement. We want to see God. And Jesus says, look, you missed it. I am God. Thomas says, Lord, we do not. This is verse 5 of chapter chapter 14 of John. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with all this? They're perplexed, they're worried, they're faint hearted, they're anxious, just like we are in trouble, in trial, temptation. And what does he say to them? It's beautiful, verse sixteen, John chapter fourteen, verse sixteen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another capital H helper. And he will give you it to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, sheep, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You have a capital H helper. Now, watch this. The world cannot see him and cannot know him. And then he says, you know him. But he doesn't say, you see him. Okay, I don't want 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 to lose you there. This is a, a good point. He tells them, you, the world, cannot see him and cannot receive him and know him. But you know him. Now, he didn't let them off the hook with the seeing. Why? What is seen is not faith. Through faith, we know we have the spirit. Through the faith that he's giving us, we have the spirit. So we we are left with this knowing, this word know, K N O W. We know that we have a helper. We don't see it, but we know it. Which leads us to the second way that we consider it joy. Back to James chapter 1. Don't forget what Jesus said, you know you have a helper. You know. You don't see it, but you know it. You know you have a helper. James says the same thing in verse 3 of James chapter 1. For you know. That's the second way that we are able to consider trouble, trial, joy. Number one, we have a helper. Number two, we know. What do we know? That the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. We have a knowledge that any kind of trouble we encounter is producing something in us. It's giving us steadfastness. Great word. Paul uses it all the time. Steadfastness. What is steadfastness? I love this definition. You can look it up. Dictionary.com. Staying power. Perseverance. Endurance. When I encounter trial... I know this, I have a helper. No matter what the the trouble is, I have a helper. And I know this, it's going to produce something in me. It's going to give me what I need to finish and keep going and stay in it and persevere. So, this knowledge that I have that this is producing something in me, joy. That gives me joy to know that this is not a wasted trouble. He is not wasting it. I will not waste it. I will embrace trial and trouble because I know I have a helper and I know it's producing a staying power in me that keeps me in the faith and keeps me at the table. That is what I know. I know. Okay, so that begs this this question. How do you keep knowing that? Because that's an easy one to forget. (laughs) When trial comes, man, when you freak out, By the way, I freak out. I mean, let's just be transparent. I freak out all the time over silly things. But I freak out. You freak out. We all lose composure when we enter and encounter trial. Everybody does. How do we get this? Okay, I need to come back to helper, and I need to come back to what I know. How do we get that knowledge that this is producing something good and that I have a helper? How do we get that knowledge and keep it? That's important. How do we keep that? How do you keep that knowing? There's two ways that that I see that are glaring. How we keep this, for you know the testing. You know what testing does. You know what trouble does. You know what trial does. You know what trouble does. How do you know that? Because it doesn't look like I know that when I first encounter trial. (laughs) It looks like I don't know anything. How do I get that knowledge and keep that knowledge? Romans 12:2: turn there. Romans 12:2. Scott Sutton made this connection for me this week. So there you go, Scott. There's your, there's your credit. Now it has been beautiful to talk through this, and Scott made this connection, and it's a beautiful connection. How do you know? How do you know that this is producing steadfast? How do you keep this knowledge? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I have this helper, and I'm charged with renewing my mind. I have got to This is what renewing our mind is based on this passage. Renewing our our mind is this. I'm going to take my eyes off of what I see in the world and I'm going to place my mind on what is unseen. Faith. And the capital H Helper. You see it? I've got to take my eyes off of what is seen and put my eyes on, which is basically closing my eyes, and faith. I know I have a helper and I know this is doing something in me. That's renewal of my mind. Right there. Do you see it? That's renewing your mind. I'm not going to pay attention to what the world sees and what I see. I'm going to know this. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to know. Not while driving. I'm going to (laughs) know I have a Helper. Capital H. Helper. And I know this is producing staying power in me. That is how we consider it joy. That's how we consider trial joy the second way that we get this knowledge and keep this knowledge renewable our renewing of our mind you get and keep this knowledge from the church you get and keep this knowledge from being engaged with his people the bride i don't know about you but i learn things through repetition i have to continually remind myself that's how i memorize just continually repetition it, it makes some sense that we need each other. I need you to remind me of what my trouble is doing. I need you to remind me that we have a helper. You're in the same boat I'm in when we encounter trouble. Wouldn't you want to be engaged and in covenant with those people that are in the same boat, who have the same helper, who we are in unity with because of that helper? That is how we get and keep that knowledge. Number one, we renew our mind. And number two, we engage the church. We join up. That's a bad word, join. We covenant with, we get together, and we walk with people who also need to be reminded and renewed in their mind. That's how you get and keep that knowledge. You renew your mind, and you walk with God's people who also need renewal. Of their mind. You need. I'm telling you. You need people. And I need people. To help me when I encounter any kind of trouble. There's no lone rangers. I need, I need reminders that I have a helper. I need reminders that this is producing something in me. When I'm in trouble. I don't necessarily need somebody to get me out of trouble. I need somebody to remind me what it's doing in me and to me. I need somebody to say, hey, man, I'm seeing a different kind of faith in you. I'm seeing something different in you. There's something being produced in you that's pretty hardcore in regards to your faith. You're in it. You're engaged. You're dependent upon the Spirit like I've never seen. That's encouraging, and that gives me joy. And it's not taking the trouble away, but it's speaking to me what I need to hear. And only God's people can say that because you have the Spirit I have the Spirit. I need somebody in that same boat with me to remind me that we have Him and to remind me that it's producing something in me. When babies die, when jobs are lost, when two-year-olds are diagnosed with diabetes, when couples are having trouble getting pregnant, when your business dries up, We need to hear, you got a helper. You're not alone. There's a capital H helper. This is doing something to you. Your faith is getting bigger and stronger. That's what I need. That's what we need in those moments. Not a way out, necessarily. We need to hear, you got a helper. Jesus promised it. God does what he says. He always does what He promises. He promised a helper and a comforter and you've got God's people standing with you who also need that same comforter and helper and we need to say what is this doing to you? What is it producing in you? And maybe there's the flip side and you get the (laughs) stop freaking out calm down This needs to produce something in you. You, This needs to produce staying power in you. Let it. Let it have its full effect. James chapter 1. Verse 4. And let, this is the third, the third way that we consider joy, we let that steadfastness and that staying factor have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. The third way that you, we can consider it joy, number one, we have a helper. Number two, because we know. We know it's producing steadfastness. And the third reason that we can consider it joy because we want to go home. I want to. And trouble points me home. Trial points me ultimately home. And that's what he's talking about here. We, none of us will ever be perfect. None of us will ever be lacking in nothing until we're home. Eternity's sure. Death is no more. Tears are no more. I want to go home. And James says, those that persevere and finish will be home How do I get there? Trial. (laughs) How do I get there? The steadfastness and the endurance and the staying power that trial gives me. And I have a helper. Man, that's joy right there. And it's absurd. But that gives me joy to know I want to go home. And perseverance and endurance by the Spirit gets me there. And I trust Him only. James 1 12 look at verse 12 blessed blessed insert joyful at rest blessed is the man who remains there it is steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him let's go home let's finish Blessed are the people who consider it joy. Blessed are the people who endure and persevere. So there's this weird cycle, and I I, I don't have any PowerPoint. You'll have these are my PowerPoint. You ready? <coughs> consider it joy. How? I got a helper. Okay, good. I got a helper. God promised to help me. That's a big one. <laughs> All right. Number two. I know what it's producing in me. It's giving me steadfastness. And I have other people in the same boat with me who need steadfastness and need to embrace trial with me. And then it comes around to, if I get that, if I'm steadfast, if I'm dependent upon His Spirit and Christ alone, I go home. Joy. You see it? How do you consider trials joy? How do you consider trouble joy? How do you consider job loss? How do you consider sickness joy? Well, i got to help her. And I know what it's producing in me. I know. Renew my mind to know what it's producing in me. i got the church walking with me. And I know that that's going to produce in me a finisher. I don't muster it, but trial and the Spirit produce in me A finisher and one that goes home. Joy. I hope you see that. I hope you know that's not a magic trick. I hope you know that it's not anything that any of us can muster. We must ask ourselves, what is our first reaction to trial and affliction? Is it cut and run? Get back to the familiar? Get back to the comfortable? Or is it to confront and endure affliction With the Spirit's help and the God's bride. That is how we endure. And that is how we consider it joy. People that stay, people that have staying power, they've been tested. If you're looking at somebody and they say, man, that dude's faithful. That guy right there, he has staying power. How do you know that? Because I've seen what he's been through. And I've seen how he's dependent upon the Spirit and how he came through it. And he's still at the table. Going through the fire and the trial and the trouble matures us and refines us and prepares us to finish. And it's a cycle. This joy that we're to count, suppose, think, and consider, it's an absurd, otherworldly, God-glorifying joy. And his sheep have it. We made it to verse 4, and i got two Sundays to finish the book of James. So, <laughs> pack a lunch next week. <clears throat> God, we need a, your Spirit to produce a joy in us that the world can't see and know. God, I can't muster this joy. I can't, I can't get it but I need your spirit and I need your church. I'm thankful for both. In Christ's name that we pray, amen.